In late 2001, the United States went to war in the country of Afghanistan in the hopes of destroying a terrorist network led by Osama bin Laden. Hundreds of thousands of young Americans heard the call of duty and enlisted in the military to do their part. But the nation was still shocked when a professional athlete from the National Football League decided he was going to forego a multi-million dollar contract and enlist in the U.S. Army instead. Almost two years later, he would be killed in action, and the U.S. government would go to great lengths to cover up just exactly how he died. In this episode of HPH, we're talking about this man's youth, his career, and all of the world events that led to him fighting in Afghanistan. So, it is time to grab a drink, settle in, and enjoy this episode of 100 Proof History titled Pat Tillman, Cardinal Red-Blooded American. This is 100 Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Hello, faithful listeners, old and new. Yes, we are assuming the new listeners will be faithful. Because we always get hurt in relationships. <laughs> you know, we give you the benefit of the doubt. Now, I swear to God, you unsubscribe from all those other podcasts, baby. I love you forever. You don't even have to work. You just stay at home and raise the dogs. All right? Just unsubscribe from every other podcast. <laughs> don't ever look at them again. Yeah, and when see. you do, I'll go, I'll go crazy. And I will domestically abuse you. Oh, my God. Both verbally and... Physically, <laughs> but it's you. You're the whore. You're a whore. <laughs> it's not me. I, will, I refuse to look at myself in the mirror. No. <laughs> Chris, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing fantastic. Unlike you, who obviously has no issues, I I don't trust that they'll be faithful. So I'll be checking their phone while they're asleep to see if they've unsubscribed <laughs> to their podcast. And if I have a dream, even just a dream that they're listening to another podcast, I'm done. That's it. It's over. Who's this Dan Carlin fellow? (laughs) How big is he? Oh, millions of subscribers. Great. (laughs) I'm going to kill myself if you leave me. (laughs) Man, this shit's starting dark, dude. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How? How unattractive am I if you are subscribed to the Alex Jones Infowar podcast? <laughs> Have I really let myself go that much? Uh, a guy with such classic hits as... And I'm not even bitching. I'm trying to understand why I'm the worst communicator. Worst Go a better job. Get your ass together now. I'm serious. I suck. They're freaking killing everybody. Everybody's in a trance. This man is clearly unhinged. Right. But not as unhinged as I am. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Welcome in, listeners. I'm sorry you've already been threatened with violence for being disloyal. We, We love you. Let's let's get him back in that part of the cycle. 
like, hey, you know, we we love you. We're we're sorry, and uh, you know, we we wouldn't do anything to hurt you. It's just sometimes I I love you too intensely, and it just makes me mad, and I don't know how to control that. You know, I think it goes back to my own father not knowing how to you know relay his love to me in any way other than the physical way. Um. That's a whole nother can of worms. Anyways, uh, welcome to the podcast. I think it really goes back to, you know, I don't have a, a kind bone in my body. <laughs> I have my uncle's bone in my body, as we've discussed at length on previous episodes. And uh, I think that's, I, I think I'm rejecting it. And I think there's a, a reaction where I'm rejecting it and it's causing me rashes and hysteria and I'm flush with anger. So, I'm just going to try and ignore that and pretend like my uncle, well, let's pretend he's in heaven, (laughs) okay? And uh, we'll press on with the story. (laughs) Oh, man, I really hope Pat Tillman's family is listening right now. Chris, why don't you tell the... Lovely listener, what we're talking about today. Uh, Today we are talking about Pat Tillman, who was an NFL player who decided to give up millions upon millions of dollars to join the Army. And uh, some things happened that we'll get into. And our main source is Where Men Win Glory, The Odyssey of Pat Tillman by John Krakauer. And... uh, Really, the only reason we're doing this is because John Krakauer is my favorite nonfiction author, and we needed to find a way to shoehorn one of his books into an episode. And uh, since Greg doesn't read anymore, he's like, readings for idiots and girly men. I was like, all right, what's happening to you, sucker? That's not true. I'm just I'm taking a break, and I'm reading some books on geopolitics. I need a little history break. Uh, fair enough. And to be fair, John Krakauer is not so much of a history writer. So, you know, most of his stories involve first-hand interviews and stuff like that. It's stuff that's happened in the last 30 or so years. So you get a real good, fresh perspective. And it's a, it's a great book. Uh, there won't be a lot of big events that we ignore, like sometimes we do with our history books. We have to, you know, push some shit to the side to talk about what we think are the important parts. Um, but... Highly recommend this book because just the emotions it will evoke in you and the the pure fucking rage you will feel by the time you're finished with it. And just as a reminder, we definitely support the troops. I used to be one of them. I was in both Iraq and Afghanistan. And, you know, just because it might shine through that we don't necessarily uh, agree with one of the wars in particular and maybe how the other one played out. That's more of a government fucked up thing. We have nothing but respect for troops. Just getting ahead of that before it becomes an issue. I definitely can fully empathize. Fucking been there. Uh, These are just our thoughts. And it has nothing to do with boots on the ground. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I didn't serve. And I don't, I definitely don't want to come across as someone who's like, oh, let me make fun of this war. And then someone who actually did go over there and fight. You know, watch people get hurt and killed. It was like, what the fuck are you even talking about, man? Like, you weren't there. You don't know this shit. You're talking out of your ass. And I don't want to come across that way. So if if that does happen, I do apologize. We definitely support the troops on this show. We support people willing to make 
that kind of sacrifice. And so if Chris does do that, I'm the equivalent of uh, I have a black friend. <laughs> I'm his black friend, basically. He's my military friend, yeah. He's like, no, 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 it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. I know a guy was there. It's all right. I can say whatever I want, you know? <laughs> well, man, you ready to uh, jump into this whole shindig? Let's do it, man. I'm I'm so excited. I love love this story, and I can't wait to tell it. That's a long pause for somebody that can't wait. <laughs> I'm just so nervous. <laughs> Patrick Daniel Tillman Jr. was born on November 6, 1976, in Fremont, California. His mother later wrote that Pat was not a cuddly baby, that he started walking at just eight months old, and was seemingly in constant motion. He would eventually be followed by brothers Kevin and Richard, and the three of them spent pretty much all day, every day, playing outside in nature, thanks largely to a television that got only one channel. <laughs> this guy. And, you know, you can just stream YouTube or, you know, watch people play games on Twitch. <laughs> what an you know? idiot. Watching people play games on Twitch. I think I'd rather just stare it outside. <laughs> no, this, the kids today don't understand. This was definitely the time of mom kicks all the kids out of the house, locks the fucking door, says you can drink from the hose, come back at dark, you know? Whereas. Yeah, our day. No, that, their day. I'm, no, I'm, I'm way cooler and younger than that. The, you know, they don't, uh. You're older than me and I did that bullshit. <laughs> Back in my day, you could see a movie for a nickel, and you still had change left over the popcorn. And our favorite game was chasing a hoop with a stick. And also, I was making fun of Twitch because your ass fucking streamed games on Twitch. Well, God damn I it. I haven't done it in like three weeks. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> context, I'm not actually making fun of streamers. I've watched people on Twitch. I'm cool. I'm hip. Yeah. I do what the kids do. Most of them are mud wrestling in kiddie pools, but, you know, whatever. Bikini bottoms. No tops, though. No. Of course It not. doesn't violate Twitch's nude policy, though, because they're dudes. Oh, fair enough. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. bikini it's, bottoms only. It's a bit of a double standard, but it's one I'm okay with. Especially oh, if yeah. they're, they're, like, ripped and stuff. Oh, they're, they're absolutely not. <laughs> and it's awesome. <laughs> Just rolling around the mud, eating a McDouble. Just a couple of bears fighting each other after hibernation. <laughs> they all look like Zangief. They're red Speedos and boots. <laughs> all right, maybe they look pre-hibernation bear, not post. <laughs> well, unlike most two-year-olds of his time, Pat was blissfully unaware that there were major world events happening that would greatly shape his future. In 1978, President Mohammad Daoud Khan of Afghanistan was overthrown and killed in a violent coup. A communist group known as the People's Democratic Party of Afghanistan, or PDPA, took control of the country under the watchful and loving eyes of the Soviet Union. But the PDPA was a bunch of jerks who ruled with an iron fist, and they rounded up and executed over 27,000 political dissidents. This inspired the formation of a group of Muslim holy warriors known as the Mujahideen to rise up and foment civil war within Afghanistan. 
The Soviet Union wasn't going to have any of that shit. So in December of 1979, they sent 100,000 troops to Afghanistan to quash the rebels and to protect their own interests. At the time, the U.S. president was Greg's nemesis, one Jimmy Carter. That's not true. I mean, last time you said you'd kill him. In the last episode, you said if you had a chance to kill one president, it'd be the maybe already deceased Jimmy Carter by the time this episode comes out. I don't remember that. (laughs) He's not my nemesis. I'm sure I had a good reason or a funny reason to say that. You, You did not. You just said you fucking hate Jimmy Carter. You hate Peanuts. You hate Georgia. I didn't say any of that. You're, now I know you're lying. You hate the homeless? You said they don't deserve houses? What the fuck's he doing? Okay, the last part. Hmm. <laughs> I can't tell if you're, if you're being honest now. Well, Jimmy Carter publicly cried foul against the Soviets, and he refused to send Americans to the Moscow Olympics. Privately, however, the U.S. government was practically peeing their pants with excitement over the idea of the Soviets getting involved in their own version of the Vietnam War, and they began channeling funds and weapons to the Mujahideen. In 1981, when Ronald Reagan took over as president, the funding of the Mujahideen rose into the billions. With a B. And in 1981, that's like a zillion dollars today. Basically. In 1980, a six-foot-four diabetic point guard from Saudi Arabia named Osama bin Laden, showed up on the scene, and he joined the Mujahideen cause. During this time, he formed a group known as Al-Qaeda, which translates to the camp or the base. Now, they called it this because they all hung out at a training base, but later said that it was because the group Al-Qaeda was the base from which future wars could be fought. Now, we talked about old shitbag Osama a whole lot in our 9-11 series, so we won't dive too much into his story. But you do need to know that the Mujahideen fought a brutal guerrilla war against the Soviets, who resorted to borderline genocidal tactics against the Afghans, who are well known for mutilating dead enemy soldiers, and torturing and raping their prisoners. In 1989, after losing 470,000 troops to disease, wounds, heroin addiction, or death, the Soviets cut their losses and pulled out of Afghanistan. The worst one was the heroin addiction, because they came back and they just want to listen to jazz records, but they couldn't get them because they're in the Soviet Union. Like, this is bullshit. we got to listen to Eastern German jazz. Ugh. Nirvana's not going to even be famous for another couple years. Grunge is still on the fringes. God damn it. (laughs) The U.S. government all high-fived each other and then decided they no longer needed the Mujahideen and cut off support while ignoring the fact the Afghans were left with massive stockpiles of U.S. purchased weaponry. And man, that's like so crazy to me that obviously the U.S. had a goal with with all of this. They spent a fucking ton of money, which the U.S. had a ton of money. But they spent a ton of money on fucking up the Soviets via these proxy wars. Then all of a sudden, like, oh, they win, and boom. The Afghans just still have all this stuff, and the U.S. isn't, like, coming around to collect it, right? It, yeah, it's a little crazy. I was kind of like, eh, fuck it, we won. Surely they'll still love us because we helped them win. We're not going to help them rebuild their 
country or their infrastructure, but uh, you know, it's fine. They got. Oh, guns. I'm not even talking about that. Oh yeah. Like this specific story just reminds me. Like one time, my parents when they were when they were still getting along, they went out on a date, but. Mm -hmm. They left at two separate times in two separate cars, so I'm pretty sure it was... They were, yeah, they were going on dates, but, you know, not with each other. Right, right. But anyway, my uncle came over to visit, and we had, like, we had a pool in the backyard and a hot tub. Mm -hmm. So he invited a lot of his friends over, and they were all wearing, like, masks. You know, as a kid, you're like, oh, fucking Halloween and stuff. But I was old enough to know... It was like May. <laughs> like, why are all these people wearing masks? And they're all like going around drinking martinis and disappearing off into the back rooms together. Mm -hmm. At the time, I look, I understand what it is now. But at the time, I'm like, why are they leaving these sacks of this lotion around? Right. Yeah. These small, long sacks of lotion. <laughs> I realize now I probably shouldn't have been rubbing that into my hands, moisturizing my face with it. I get that. But. They left all the masks behind. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those like, are you fucking kidding me? All of a sudden, now I'm this I'm this small child and I'm rich? Because <laughs> these were all like gold, silver yeah. looking masks. They were um, jaguars and different exotic animals and stuff like that. And um, I I think that I can fully relate to the, uh, the Afghan freedom fighters as like a small child. Yes. Because I all of a sudden felt very rich. It was all foil plated. It ended up being, you know, <laughs> I thought I was a rich man at, you know, the age of seven. But in reality, it was just foil plated masks. I don't know why they were wearing them. Is that the same party you were telling me about where you opened the bedroom door slowly and you saw a man sitting on the bed and there was another man wearing a dog mask and he like had his head in his lap for some reason? The one you're... That was a different party. Okay. That was also the movie The Shining. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to distract from the reality of the situation by referencing a movie. I'm sorry, Greg. I know that was Well, those traumatic. were three separate things. There was the party I'm talking about, <laughs> the party that mirrored The Shining. It was The Shining Party, and oh. then the movie The Shining. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. All of them involved my uncle. <laughs> he got arrested on the set of The Shining, but that's a different story. It's part of what made Danny crazy. We'll just <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Uh, please continue. Back in California, Pat Tillman was now 13 years old, and he was proving to be a star athlete for Leland High School, despite his relatively small stature. Uh, you know, because he was 13 fucking years old. In 1992, he played as running back, wide receiver, linebacker, and defensive safety, all at the same time. There was just... Him and two other kids out on the field, you know, just kicking ass, taking names. And numbers. What are you doing later? <laughs> well, 13-year-old running up to the MILFs in the stands. Hey, baby, did you see me return that kick and then tackle myself because I'm playing kick returner and safety? You like that? Son, I think you're schizophrenic. <laughs> There's not even a football game going on. You're 13 years old. You're not even in high school. What's, what is happening here? That same year, he returned a kick for a touchdown to lead his team to victory and to secure a playoff berth. Pat was known to get into fights often, but according to his old friends and teammates, he would only fight boys who were bigger than him and would often step in to defend his weaker, nerdier classmates from bullies. 
as a nerd. I'm like, thank you, Pat. You were the AC Slater that we all needed, you know? Just defending us all from Zach fucking Morris's bullying and ripping us off for raffle tickets to go on a date with Lisa Tuttle. You know? Turtle? Is that what was her name was? Turtle? Yeah. Oh, I didn't... I can't remember. Because she went crazy, too. Lark Voorhees. She went uh, off the rails following that show. Well, she was related to Jason Voorhees. Oh, of shit. Friday the 13th fame, so... Oh, man. Don't worry about the color of their skin being different. <laughs> well, he spent a lot of time underwater in a lake. And, you know, that kind of bleached him a little. Wow. <laughs> wow. Meanwhile, in Afghanistan, the country was involved in yet another massive civil war in which the Jahideen was splintered and fighting for control. The country devolved into chaos in which roving groups of bandits stationed themselves on the highways and demanded bribes in exchange for safe passage. A mullah named Omar decided he had enough of this crap, and he formed a force designed to wipe out the bandits. They called themselves the Students of Islam, or in his language, the Taliban. By 1996, the Taliban had won the Afghan Civil War and were firmly in charge of the country. Joining them in their cause was Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. And a mullah is like a priest or a preacher, you know, an Islamic wise man. I don't really know how to explain it, but it, it, he's kind of that for the Muslim faith. Just so you guys aren't like, oh, it's it's fancy term for money. You know, I got a lot of mullah. No, don't be an idiot. That's stupid. I can't believe you would think that. Fucking idiot listener. They're like traveling wise men that go around to villages and tell them what's going on and what it means. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I get you. Uh, the same thing happened to me as a child when that that revival came through town and the preacher healed me of my uh, rickets and my uh, inability to walk without a cane. But the weird thing is, is like right after he left, it was like uh, I, I couldn't do it again. I, I, I don't know if I like had weak faith. You know, I don't know what happened to me personally, but uh, he was great. You know, took me, <laughs> took me into his trailer, showed me all of his trinkets that he'd collected from around the world and you know around the country. Um, gave me some sacramental wine. Uh, things got really fuzzy after that. I woke up and the police were there, but I don't know what they expected me to tell them. You know, he had already left town. I don't, you know, he he was a good guy, though. Really cool dude. He had one, uh, it was kind of similar to that, but his whole deal was like, we need to be present. We need to feel where we are now. Mm -hmm. And so he would just kind of lay me on this, like, uh, it was a massage table. He did not massage me. Okay, I know what you're thinking. Yeah. I know what you're thinking. I was just a kid. But what he did, he got this, um, oh, this like handled thing out with a bunch of little like leather straps hanging off of it. Mm -hmm. And just kind of dangle it over my naked body. Yeah. You know, and like he's like, this is supposed to excite your senses and get you close to God and all that. And, you know, the lights were out or whatever. And I think he was massaging himself, but <laughs> he did not touch me. Okay. So <laughs> let's stop the rumors there. Yeah, the Nine Inch Nails song Closer playing in the background, and he just shouted, with it, you make me feel closer to God, as he's rubbing up and down your back. Man, this episode is very one note. 
It is. <laughs> well, while everything was happening in Afghanistan, you know, the Taliban's taking over, Pat Tillman was getting ready to graduate high school. His spectacular play had earned him a scholarship to Arizona State University. He had met and fallen in love with a girl named Marie. Things were going great until 1994 when he got into a fight outside of a pizza restaurant. And that would not have happened if the pizza was hot and ready and he just grabbed it and left. Pizza, pizza. But no, he had to go down to one of these fancy sit-down pizza restaurants. Pat had been drinking and he was under the mistaken impression that someone had jumped his friend. In response, he beat the absolute dog shit out of a guy who had done nothing but watched the fight from afar. He was looking at felony charges, but the judge graciously lowered it to a misdemeanor and allowed him to serve 30 days in jail after he graduated. Pat would later say his time in a juvenile detention center made him realize he needed to get his shit together and focus on being more of an intellectual and less of a dumb jock. At Arizona State, Pat did exactly that. Not only was he a star at the position of linebacker that would help lead his team to the national championship game in 1996, he was also an outstanding student. In 1997, Pat was voted the Pac-10 Defensive Player of the Year, was named Arizona State's Most Valuable Player, and graduated college summa cum laude with an overall GPA of 3.85. The following spring, the Arizona Cardinals of the National Football League selected Pat Tillman as the 226th out of 241 players chosen in the NFL draft and signed him to a one-year contract worth $179,000. By that September, he would be the opening day starter at the free safety position against the greatest football team in the history of the sport. Let's go, Cowboy! Woo! Yes, everything was awesome, and Pat Tillman was looking forward to a long, productive, and lucrative career in professional football. But 7,000 miles away, some asshole in Afghanistan was getting ready to change the world and the course of Pat's life forever. And that's where we'll take a break. That's where we're going we're gonna to tease you with that. You're like, oh shit, how's it going to change his life? How, how's, it, how's it going to happen? You'll be like, oh fuck, I, I, I am titillated right now. I don't know what's happening. My anxiety is kicking in. <laughs> well, go take a Xanax and grab a drink, and we'll be right back. All right, we are back. From break. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you grabbed a drink, some refreshments, maybe. Checked on your family, see how they were doing. Realize they left you a long time ago because they overheard just like the first five minutes of this podcast and they knew that uh, if that's the kind of person you are, they didn't want to be around you. But we thank you for sticking through. And uh, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna spend some time with you right here, a little bit of special time. We're all gonna grab our individual cans of refreshing alcoholic beverages kind of cleanse our palates, make us feel better, and we're going to enjoy what we like to call the second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. 
All right, grab your cans and three, two, one, pop the top. And enjoy a sip of that fruity goodness. And that's exactly what I told my wife on our honeymoon. Was it beaded up on only the tip? Mm-hmm. And nothing more. That little last push out of the toothpaste tube. And this was at dinner. It was, uh, it was just a <laughs> strawberry, really. But and then we uh, we went back to the hotel room and <laughs> we slept fucking good. Oh, so good. Fully clothed. Yeah. Well, yeah. Separate beds. <laughs> well, Greg, while we enjoy our second half seltzers, I think we would all like it if you would tell us. Maybe a little bit more about Pat Tillman and what happened to him. Well, all right. Let me crack the old knuckles here. And I will begin. While Pat Tillman was still in NFL training camp getting ready for his first real professional game, Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda were ramping up their attacks on the United States in the hopes of drawing the U.S. into a war similar to the one that the Mujahideen had won against the Soviet Union. On August 7, 1998, a truck bomb was detonated at the U.S. Embassy in Nairobi, Kenya, killing 213 people. Nine minutes after that bomb went off, another was detonated in Tanzania, killing an additional 11 people. President Bill Clinton did not believe full-scale war was an appropriate response and didn't believe it would be accepted by the public. So, in response to al-Qaeda's attacks, he launched cruise missiles at two suspected Al-Qaeda hideouts that did basically fuck all, with several missing their targets by upwards of 30 miles. A little fun fact, on the day these, these cruise missiles were launched, Bill Clinton was in Congress testifying that he did not have sex with his intern, Monica Lewinsky. That's not a fun fact. I mean, it was technically true. I don't think he had sex with her. I think he, you know. He had did. digital sex with her. Yeah. That, Put his fingers in her in a cigar tube, and she blew him. That's, what that's sex, dude. Oral sex, digital sex, cigarro sex, cicadro sex. She's probably smuggling fucking drugs over the Mexican border. Cicarro <laughs> sex. That's what digital up, sex dude? is? I thought that's when you just type boobies on your Casio watch. It became that. Oh, I gotcha. It was a different time, you know? It was a, it was a transitionary period between, you know... The fun analog days of the 80s and the digital world we live in now. Fucking Beanie Babies, dude. I'm, I'm sitting on a fucking mountain of them, and I am going to be rich as fuck. I'm quitting this podcast as soon as those things hit eBay. Ooh. Can I buy them with fucking Bitcoin? Or <laughs> Oh, no, no. That shit's worthless. Are you kidding me? Talk about a fad. Jeez. All right. My bad. My bad. You want some Pokemon cards, though? Uh, I don't, I don't have a need for those. Mm-hmm. But if you don't want Bitcoin, I can trade you some tulips from the Netherlands from way <laughs> back in the day. Well, how many pogs will you need in exchange for those tulips? Fat ass white girls, dude. I'll take, a, I'll take several. <laughs> I will take several pogs. <laughs> Boy, talk about a meaning that has changed over the years. <laughs> I had a four-foot fucking tube of pogs when I was, like, nine. Oh, yeah. Big fucking... Imagine that now. Oh, my God. Metal slammer. Yeah, now a nine-year-old's like, I love pogs. He's like, you fucking sick fuck. I am a slammer. 
<laughs> Those websites ask if you're 18 before you can look at them. You lied on the internet, you little shit. My dad told me he was into pogs. I looked it up. Boy, is my <laughs> kindergarten teacher going to be mad at me. <laughs> Goes to school. My dad wants to show me his pog collection. The teacher's like, oh, my God. She immediately tucks in her, like, tucks her dress behind her and sits down. <laughs> Pervert. This is the last time I wear leggings to school. <laughs> I'm putting these right back in that plastic egg. I'll never wear these again. For any new listeners, call back to old, eh, whatever. And I, mean, I don't long. know you anything. It's like you know Apollo what? 13, right? Yeah, it'll be that long. Back in Arizona, Pat Tillman wound up getting benched in his first season after making some understandable rookie mistakes. Slept with the coach's wife. Oh, that's not true. No, it's not. Stop Slept slandering. with the coach's wife's husband, <laughs> a.k.a. the coach. <laughs> That's true. It's not true. Stop slandering American hero. Goddamn you, Greg. Following that season, he re-enrolled at Arizona State to earn a master's degree in history. He also spent that off-season going on hikes and challenging himself by doing wild-ass shit, like cliff diving into rivers or jumping off of mountains onto trees below. When friends asked him why he was willing to risk an NFL career, or even death, for seemingly pointless challenges, Pat responded that he needed to continually challenge himself physically and mentally, or else he'd lose his edge. Then he'd come. <laughs> I'm edging, bro. Don't worry about <laughs> it. Been had six and eight weeks. Watch me jump off this fucking mountain. I just need to feel alive, goddammit. <laughs> Dude, I got this website. It's called Pornhub. I, you might you might look into it. Pat? <laughs> Pat, what do you... All right. Man, this is 1998. We're all still looking at pictures on the internet. Like, if you found a QuickTime video, whoo, you were living in, like, porn heaven in 1998. You got the image that loaded line by line. Pat? I, I don't know why you need to do that. I got this <laughs> lithograph over here. <laughs> Of a lady in a very sexy hat, if you want to... <laughs> Basically. Pat? <laughs> Pat? Pat, you ain't got a cliff dive. This lady's showing her ankles. Just a little bit right there under the her her socks and her, her long hoop dress. Well, never mind. Uh, the Taliban had done killed her. <laughs> She's no more, Pat. You, you may proceed. A goddamn Taliban. <laughs> well, Pat spent the 1999 season riding the bench, but was at least moved to the position of strong safety, which better suited his talents as a hard-hitting tackler. In the year 2000, Pat was given the starting job and proved to be an absolute fucking stud. Despite the Cardinals being a dumpster fire of a team, Pat frequently led them in tackles game to game. In one game against Dallas, which the Cardinals lost 48-7, to <laughs> of course, <laughs> as they do, uh, Pat collected 16 tackles. Two weeks later, he had 21 tackles against the then-insensitively named Washington Redskins. Whoa, you can't say that word. Well, well, I'm quoting, you know. 
<laughs> End quote. End quote. And if you don't know much or anything about football, those are pretty, like, they're, those are big numbers for a tackler of any position. That's large and in charge. That offseason, well-known football analyst Dr. Paul Zimmerman listed Tillman as one of his all-pro players. The St. Louis Rams offered Pat a contract worth $9.6 million. But Pat turned him down and instead took $512,000 to stay in Arizona. A.K.A. Pat took like 6% of what he could have got. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. When his agent questioned Pat's sanity, he expressed the notion that since the Cardinals had taken a chance on him, Pat owed the team his loyalty and he could not be bought. You hear that, listener? You hear that shit? Here we are, taking a chance on you, putting out this uh, amazing podcast. And you're over there listening to Dan Carlin. You're, you're, you're finding other history podcasts. You're, you're finding other podcasts that are quote-unquote funny, unquote. <laughs> and, uh... No, you need to be like Pat Tillman. You need to show some fucking loyalty for once. Once in your, your miserable fucking lives. Be patriotic to your comedy history podcast <laughs> endeavor. <laughs> All right? Peace shit. God. Thanks for listening, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Piece of shit. Pizza, pizza. Rolling funnies after funnies, continuing on the laugh track. On Tuesday, September 11th, 2001, Pat Tillman was enjoying a morning off from getting ready for the upcoming NFL season when his brother Kevin called him to tell him to turn on the TV. Well, he's going to watch like some reruns of Everybody Loves Raymond, I'm sure. You know, some good shit. <laughs> yeah, have fun. Oh, dude, a little, put on a little daily show with Craig Kilborn. <laughs> Just like the rest of us who remember that day, Pat watched in horror as the news came in about the terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center towers in New York City. <laughs> oh. Oh. Mm. I forgot that happened that day. Mm. I feel like I wasn't supposed to, though. I broke a promise. I feel like I swore I would, would not forget about that. Yeah. I said I'd never forget. Oh, did you? Shit. That's... That's a, yeah. whew, that's a commitment. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> the NFL canceled games that weekend, but when Pat came back to work the following week and was interviewed, he said, quote, it's hard because I play a goddamn, we play football, you know? It just seems so goddamn, it seems so unimportant to everything that's taken place, end quote. Dude's obviously like train of thought. Yeah. Talking right there. Now, Pat played out the season, and on January 6, 2002, he led the team with 16 tackles in a losing effort. No one suspected it would be the last football game that he would ever play. In April, the Cardinals offered Pat a three-year, $3.6 million contract, but he had already decided he was going to enlist in the Army and attempt to join the Special Forces. Joining 25-year-old Pat was his 24-year-old brother Kevin, who had been playing in the minor leagues for the Cleveland Indians baseball team. Man. Were most of the teams, you know, insensitively named back then? Fuck. Oh, yeah. It's before cancel culture showed up. You know what? You know what I'm saying, man? They, they, they canceled him. They canceled the guy who wrote Dilbert. 
because he said black people are a hate group, but then said he is black and then said white people are the hate group. I don't know. He They just canceled Dilbert, and I am very upset about it right now. Is that true? That is 100% true. All right, Steve. <laughs> you need to know this shit, man. You need to be on top. You got your eyes closed. Uh, he wrote the, the far side calendars. He turned out to be a Nazi. Just saying. <laughs> Did he? Well, that's what I heard. You know, left, left-wing fucking Nazi. <laughs> left-wing Fucking commie All right. Nazi. All right, Steve. Well, when they joined, both Pat and Kevin had the option to join as officers, but they chose to enlist because they wanted to share the risk that other soldiers would experience. They would each be earning a starting salary of $15,480 a year. I mean... Sure, he turned down $3.6 million, but he didn't have to pay for his housing. You know, he didn't have to pay for his food. Bullets? Yeah, gets free bullets, all the bullets he wants. Body armor? Yeah, it's fucking great, man. You know, he doesn't pay... No, when he's deployed, he doesn't pay taxes on that 15480 right? I don't know how that works. Correct. Yeah, so... Well... when he's deployed, he makes a little bit more, but but it, it's basically the same thing. I mean, we're yes. we're like, we're like, hey, okay, you gave up three point six million dollars, professional football man, big fucking deal. You're making fifteen grand, and you getting all these perks. So he gets free college, even though he's already graduated from college and has a master's in history. That's more. Um, that's more than the Patreon per year. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. That's true. Wolf Dick, don't don't tell Greg. Don't tell Greg how much we're making right now. <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah, man, we're we're struggling. <laughs> In May of 2002, Pat married his high school sweetheart Marie and had to listen to both his and her parents try and talk him out of joining the military, but it was all to no avail. In June, he and Kevin shipped off to boot camp in Georgia, where they were both incredibly disappointed with how fucking dumb and juvenile all their fellow recruits were. You know, and th- I don't know if I've said it on this show, mm-hmm. but uh, I've, I've said it plenty of times in, in my life. It's like, ah, basic training. You've never seen gay men act straighter and straighter men act gayer. <laughs> Boy, I feel like that's a hundred proof history tagline. I mean, it's very true. You know, like all, the gay dudes, they want to like be seen as gay. You yeah. know, don't ask, don't tell was the, the policy of the time. And the straight dudes, it's like, it, they're fucking grab ass. They're doing just the, what you would think is homosexual behavior. But it's it just, it's wild how, how <laughs> they switch roles, you know, yeah. <laughs> in that instance. Isn't it funny how I'm jerking off this guy? <laughs> I'm so straight, you know? <laughs> it's basic training is so weird. <laughs> but Pat would write in his journal. Quote, often I am so disgusted with the people I'm surrounded with that my heart fills with hate. They're resentful, ungrateful, lazy, weak, and unvirtuous as often as not. End quote. And that was me, dude. And that was everybody else that was with me in basic training. I I read that and I was like, dude, I fucking get it. <laughs> I was an 18-year-old piece of shit. I get what you're saying. <laughs> He's 25. He's had a professional career already. You know, he's showing up thinking everybody's going to be fucking professional. And there's a bunch of kids who just graduated high school. Yeah. You know, flopping their balls around. 
Hey, look at me. Now I know, though, I didn't know where that quote came from, but that's what you keep sending us in our HPH emails. That uh, the people that surround you fill your heart with hate. Yeah, I just don't properly attribute it to, to him. <laughs> that's, that's my bad. It's plagiarism, <laughs> if I'm being honest. And so is all of this podcast. <laughs> it's all plagiarism. Wait, no, we say the source one time. Yeah, we beginning. give him credit. We give him right. credit. We're good. And then I change his words just enough that we can't get sued. You read this book and nowhere in there is the word cuck or penis or, you know, mutual masturbation. I just add, it's a little pizzazz, you know, little pops. Mm-hmm. I just go on chat GPT and I'm like, <laughs> chat GPT, please write an outline on this in this many words and be an insufferable cunt that says they're not racist, but you kind of know they are. Says they're not sexist, but you kind of know they are. Says they're not gay, but they are. You know, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. I Fuck. have like 50 conditions along those lines. <laughs> and uh, then we have the outline and, and we just read it. God. Really, this is machine driven. <laughs> Don't blame us. Blame the machines. Well, at the same time that Pat was getting yelled at by some jerk drill sergeant who wanted to prove NFL football man Pat Tillman deserved no special treatment, the administration of President George W. Bush was pumping out stories about how Pat Tillman was willing to risk fame and fortune for his country. You know, you know, classic sprinkle of propaganda. No, they wouldn't. Unfortunately for them, Pat Tillman refused to do any interviews with the press about his enlistment. In October, Pat and Kevin graduated basic training, although Pat would write, quote, I feel no sense of accomplishment from finishing this place. I've learned no ultimate lessons and improved my character in no way. I'm not a negative man. I do not want to report bad. I want to rise above and bring everyone along with me. However, this place fucking blows. Period. End quote. The same way I signed all my senior high school yearbooks. I wasn't even asked to sign most of them. But there's a diatribe about how I didn't learn shit here. This place sucks. Fuck you. Have a nice summer, Chris. <laughs> I wish you would have left it a little more ambiguous. I'm not a negative man, Chris. <laughs> End quote. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> That way, when you go on to commit, like, atrocities, they'll be like, ah, uh, should have seen it coming. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> I, I, look at this. All he said is, I'm not a negative man. <laughs> Who says that? <laughs> I didn't think anything of it at the time other than, this dude's fucking weird. But now that he shot up that bathhouse, <laughs> it makes sense. I'm not a negative man, but the time of reckoning will come soon. <laughs> Have a nice summer, Chris. He was the only guy that carried around a Sharpie and a bottle of Whiteout. <laughs> now that I've scraped off the Whiteout after he's committed this crime, I realize, oh, he was leaving clues all over the place. No wonder it took him 10 minutes to sign my yearbook. <laughs> are yearbooks a thing? Yeah. Are they still a thing? I don't know if they're still. Yeah. Like signing them and stuff? But it was for my kid who was, you know, 10. Like last year, 
all of her oh, okay. friends signed, signed her yearbook or whatever, but I don't know if like it continues on at high school. I don't know if they're still doing that. If they're doing it at 10, they're doing it in high school, right? Yeah. That's what my uncle told me when I was 10. <laughs> you know what? All the cool kids are doing it. What's your fucking problem? 10-year-old Greg. <laughs> and of course, he was talking about uh, watching Dawson's Creek. Oh, yeah. Big-headed motherfucker, James Vanderbeek. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what all that was. Your uncle was really into that show, so he's like, you know. Oh, you want to watch Paw Patrol? Fuck you. Sit down and watch a real teenager show. Fuck it. Little 10-year-old Greg. Now take your shirt off. I mean, you know, no, don't. I'm sorry. I've <laughs> got a little bit ahead of myself. Your parents are still here. Wait till they leave and take your shirt off. It's very humid in here. Over the following six weeks... Pat's outlook brightened as he relished the challenges brought on by the Ranger Indoctrination Program. He and Kevin both graduated from the school and became members of the elite Army Rangers 75th Regiment. While all this was happening, the Bush administration was working overtime to convince the country that the president of Iraq, Saddam Hussein, was stockpiling weapons of mass destruction and he intended to use them on America and her allies. It would later be proven to be completely untrue, but the drums of war were way too loud for America to ignore. Pat Tillman saw through the bullshit and wrote in his journal, quote, We have little or no justification other than our empirical whim. Nub and I, Nub being his nickname for Kevin, his brother, have willingly allowed ourselves to be pawns in this game and will do our job whether we agree with it or not. All we ask is that it is duly noted that we harbor no illusions of virtue. End quote. At the beginning of March 2003, Pat, Kevin, and the other Rangers of Alpha Company were flown to an airfield in Saudi Arabia to prepare for their part in what seemed like an unavoidable war with Iraq. Little did Pat Tillman know, the fuckery of the U.S. government was only the beginning. And that is where we will pick up next time. End of this part of the story. Woo! Did it. We introduced you to Pat Tillman. We got you all the way up to the invasion of Iraq, and you are just sitting on the edge of that seat. Like, it's not safe, because you're driving, and you're, like, way up on the steering wheel, and if you get in a wreck, it's going to crush your fucking sternum. So you need to sit the fuck back and just wait for our next part, where we're going to tell you the rest of Pat Tillman's story. But, uh, you know, there's a few things related to this part that we left out intentionally because we do that. We, we leave things. We exclude things from the story just so you'll believe our accounting and you won't question whether or not we were actually at the truck stop last night when we said we were at our church uh, Bible study. And those little things we exclude, we call the fast facts. <laughs> Fast fact number one. During the Soviet-Afghan War, the most brutal tactics came from a Soviet general secretary named Konstantin Chernenko. Under his regime, the Soviets resorted to indiscriminate high-altitude bombing. They also planted mines designed to look like colorful children's toys and released thousands of camouflaged butterfly mines that were explicitly designed to maim, not kill, 
because the Soviets believe caring for an amputee would place more hardship on the Afghans than killing them outright. Fast Fact Number 2 The Soviets pulled out of Afghanistan in 1989 and cut off all funding to the country in 1992. At that time, the president of Afghanistan was a communist named Mohammad Najibullah. Without funding, Najibullah realized his government was about to collapse. He begged the United States and the United Nations to step in and ensure that the holy warriors from the Mujahideen did not seize power, saying that Afghanistan would turn into a center for narcotic smuggling and terrorism. Unfortunately for him, the U.S. ignored his pleas. Unfortunately for everybody else, Najibullah was right. Fast fact number three. At 5 foot 11 inches, 204 pounds, Pat Tillman was definitely too small to play linebacker in the NFL, especially in the 1990s when size and strength were preferred attributes. So, as a 7th round draft pick that the Cardinals hoped to convert to safety, his success was a long shot. It was actually a double long shot considering only 6% of kids that play high school football play in college, and only about 1% of those college players make it to the NFL. Fast Fact Number 4 One of Pat's favorite pastimes was engaging in informed debate. He made it a point to study history, economics, and world events. And although he was an atheist, he also read the Bible, Book of Mormon, and the Quran. Pretty much every single one of his friends said that no matter the subject, Pat was excited to debate it with someone and force them to question their views. But they also said that although he held strong opinions, he was also open-minded and quick to admit when he was wrong when confronted with persuasive arguments. He would not have done well on Twitter. All right, well, that does it. We thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you learned a little something. Hope you're excited to come back next time for the conclusion of Pat Tillman's story. I will warn you, it is very rage-inducing. You will be upset, especially if you are from these United States. But uh, that's just a little teaser for you. In the meantime, while you're waiting for that episode, you can check us out at 100proofhistory.com. There you find a little biographical information, a few uh, older episodes. You can also find a link to our Patreon, where just $3 a month gets you access to 39 old episodes, over 60 bonus mini-episodes, and two-day early access to new releases. And, for good measure, follow us on social media at 100proofhistory. We like to post things related to the story, maybe some memes, maybe just have a good time, maybe interact with you guys a little bit. That is all. I am your co-host, sort of sometimes sexy co-host, Christopher, for Dan Dan the Intro Man, Wolf Dick, our esteemed invalid producer, we turn to the east, to the rising sun known as our main host, Gregory, and we ask, what else? Well, I figure we're about to go record this hangover for all those Patreon members. You know what I'm saying? Oh, uh, yeah. Mm. A little extra okay. tease. A little extra a little, uh, little nipple, nipple tassel on the nipple, so to speak. <laughs> you know, you take the nipple tassel off and you're like, all right, I, I got this. And you turn it around. 
and you play their magic on them. (laughs) 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 What now, sorcerer? (laughs) So we are tasseling the male nipple of the sorcerer with a nipple tassel. I feel like that metaphor tracks very well. I don't understand it at all. Uh, yeah, we're, we're about to do a hangover, so, you know, do that Patreon thing. Yeah, do that. And we will see you next time for Pat Tillman, Part 2. Bye! And that's just part of the magic of Kubrick, right? Yes. 100%. And that was part of the magic of my uncle, and, you know, at first when I would... What are you doing? And he would just start pulling out Polaroids of me, like, through the window in the bathtub (laughs) at, like, half a year old, and then I was three years old. Like, this man had documented surreptitiously my entire Mm -hmm. life through Polaroids. And some of them had, like, knives in the foreground and stuff. So, you know, (laughs) you just get conditioned, (laughs) just like the Afghans. All right.